to the Red Dog Road Podcast, a program for people seeking a deeper perspective on the outdoors, sports, and personal performance. And now, here is your host, Nick Pinizzato. Hello, friends, and welcome once again to the Red Dog Road Podcast. This is Episode 9, Worst Hunting Clothes I Ever Owned. And I wanted to make sure we did something a little more fun this this episode, because last episode, it was a lot more serious talking about how to be in shape to enjoy your outdoor endeavors a little bit better. And uh, we tried to have as much fun with that one as we could, but the reality is that's just much more serious information. And I think this is one that was a lot, a lot lighter, and I think it's something that you'll enjoy. And I imagine there'll be a number of things that uh, you can relate to, especially if you're old like Mike and I are. So uh, with that... The uh, co-host of the Red Dog Road podcast is with us once again, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing okay, and I'm excited to talk about this topic because I have a lot of experience with it, I'm sure as you do as well. Yeah, no question. I, I don't even know if I'll get through my list of terrible hunting clothes that I've used over the years, but uh, before we get into that, let's get caught up. How was your Easter break? Easter was good. Um, the The weather... We went north, as you well know, and the weather up there was a lot colder than I expected. I have never had to fire up the furnace this, I guess, late in the winter, pre-spring, but I had to fire up the furnace. And on, I don't, I sent, I sent you a picture, yeah, because I was actually out looking for sheds, and we had seven inches of snow on the ground still up there. So, uh, and we got more on Sunday morning. So it was, it was cold. It felt like, felt like December. The weather's been crazy, and I. I was going to bring that up as well when I talk about what I've been up to. I know when we were coming, we went back to Pennsylvania to visit family for the holiday and we planned on leaving Monday morning while Sunday evening we got hit with four inches of snow. And uh, and our son, Will, he struggled. He, He has to be on a schedule and we travel like that. He gets off schedule and the only way we were able to get him to sleep was if we took him for rides. And of course, he wakes up in the middle of the night, right in the peak of the snowstorm. And we're literally out there doing laps around the neighborhood. Uh, if anyone was watching, they probably thought we were crazy or thought we were casing the place. But uh, <laughs> it, it was it was just one of those crazy things. I told Angela we should have taken some pictures and video of that so we could show him what we went through to try to get him to sleep. But yeah, the weather's been crazy. Uh, this it's it's hard to get motivated to do things outside i before easter i was at the i went to the north american conservation conference it was in norfolk and it was really nice there temperatures were in the 70s a couple of days and it was really nice to get outside and run there and it, another thing i wanted to mention to you mike is that i had a few people say hey i'm listening to your podcast and i really enjoy it so i thought that was pretty encouraging to hear that we we actually do have some fans out there well, that's wonderful. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And I guess the one thing I forgot that I did want to mention is I wanted to congratulate you because I heard just this week that when you get past your seventh podcast, that is a milestone because the majority, 80% of the podcasts don't make it to their seventh. Um, and I guess the other milestones are 25 and 50. So congratulations on making it past your seventh podcast. You know, I hadn't even really given that any thought, but thank you. And obviously you're a big part of that as well. And it, you know, it, but it's still been fun and it's been, it hasn't been a ton of work really. There's a little bit of work involved in editing the episodes and getting them up there and a little cost involved, but we're, I'm still enjoying it. And I think as long as I hear that people are enjoying what we have to say, uh, I want to keep going. So I guess our next step is let's get to 25 and then get to 50, but uh, we better make sure we take care of number nine first. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And, and back to Easter real quick before we jump into the show a little further here. I, I just, I gave up for Lent. Uh, I gave up pastries. And what I was defining as a pastry was actually cakes and cookies, which is a downfall of mine. So my mother celebrated my success with that by making two of my favorites. And that was pumpkin pie and oatmeal raisin cookies. So, of course, I come out of Lent and I'm celebrating my success and I binge on this garbage. <laughs> and uh, so because of that, I hit the workouts really hard this week. I've been hitting it every – I haven't missed a day this week. It's been really good. And I'm trying to work that out of my system. So, uh, I guess I, I don't know what I really accomplished by skipping out on those foods for that amount of time. But at any rate, I, I guess I celebrated in a pretty big way. And and I will have to say, and what everybody does not know that's listening out there, is that Nick's mother is a wonderful cook and baker. And so, the fact that he was able to resist all the other times that he's been back home, his mother's cooking and treats, is, is actually a pretty phenomenal feat because she is amazing. <laughs> Even more than that, and I'm sure she'll appreciate the compliment, is that as you get older as they get older and as we all get older, it's all of a sudden they become like how your grandmother was. And that is they think you're starving to death when you get there and they just want to feed you all the time. No, no kidding. We'll just finish dinner. We'll have sat down for maybe an hour and my mom or dad will be like, Hey, you need a snack. You want some chips? We have this, we have that. And uh, it's just kind of crazy. So we're trying to get back on track here that way. And like I said, I've been hitting the workouts hard. And uh, the other thing is it's master's week. So, that's the one thing that's given me hope that it's going to be spring because I'm enjoying watching the the Masters tournament here. It's only been day one, but I can tell you I've got a sort of a split screen set up here in my office where I work. And one of those screens had the Masters on it today. I'm just going to tell on myself for that. And it's a, it's a week I always look forward to every year. Well, that's you're right because that is always a sign of spring. The other one for me is the Kentucky Derby. That always falls around the 1st of May when turkey season is. And to me, that's that's when I know, okay, all the coats can be put away. Windbreakers can be put away. We can start opening up windows. So it's it's weird how these little annual events that come around, whether they, they be sporting events or something else, we kind of associate those with different times of the year. Definitely. That's another great example. And I, you know, let's just say that the next time we jump on here to record the next episode, let's hope we're, we're, hope we're talking about spring has finally has finally sprung and we'll have uh, uh, at least a little warm air on our faces. So uh, with that, Mike, let's go ahead and jump into our walk down Red Dog Road. Today in the walk down Red Dog Road segment, what I want to focus on is setting priorities in your life. And I talked a few episodes ago about the fact that I was working on my social media in terms of the amount of time I was spending on there, what my accounts looked like. And I started with Instagram. But since that time, just last week, I dove into Facebook. And Facebook, of course, as you know, is the mother of all social media uh, platforms. And you can get caught up spending hours and hours of time there. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to dive right into this thing and start working on it. And I just I just wrote a story about this, posted it last night on the Red Dog Road website, which you can get at reddogroad.net. So I encourage you to go check out that story. Uh, but the, the point was that I just realized that I really wasn't enjoying my use of social media. It's not that I don't appreciate it. And it's not that I don't think that there is some value there. But the reality was for my Facebook account in particular, 
I had all these people on there that I had never even met. They just either knew of me through my job or other other things that I'm involved in. And lo and behold, I end up with a, a few thousand friends, many of which I don't know. My timeline's all screwed up. Now you've got the privacy breach issue that happened with Facebook. And I said, you know what? I'm not enjoying this. It's taken too much time out of my life. I'm cutting way back. And I did. I got rid of that account, opened up a much, much smaller one that's primarily just pretty close friends and family. And I don't plan to really post much on there, but it's it's just nice to at least have access to it and have the account. But it, it really got me to thinking about, especially as I've, I've freed up some time from uh, really spending time looking at that thing, I started thinking about all the things that matter most in my life. And I started thinking about all the things that become barriers to me accomplishing those things or to, to getting those things done that I think are most important. And so what I would encourage you to do in terms of setting priorities in your life, a great way to start this is to sit down and write down the five things that matter most to you. They can be people, they can be activities. You can write down more than five if you want, but I think if you pick the five most important things, I think that's a good place to start. And then I want you to look at it the other way and say, okay, what are the things that I'm doing in my life that are barriers to me enjoying those top five things that are important to me? And I think you're going to find that there are going to be some things there that if you clear those away, you're going to find that you're going to have much more time to enjoy the most important things. And I think you're going to find it refreshing as I already have through this social media transformation. And I know other people that I've talked to that are going through this have been feeling the same way. What are your thoughts, Mike? Well, priorities are have, are and always have been very important to me because I feel that that's how we get from point A to point B in our lives, we we pick up, we prioritize specific tasks that we believe are vitally important and we move forward with those. And the one thing that I would want to make sure everybody out there understands is when you prioritize things, make sure that you are prioritizing them for the right reasons and you need to kind of assess those things. And as Nick said, your list of five, and that would be the five most important priorities and the five least important priorities kind of reflect on how those interact with each other as well, because um, it's something that you need to really, really look deeply and to get the most benefit out of when you're actually uh, prioritizing things. So don't look at them only individually because some of them might overlap or might intertwine and that adds a whole different dynamic and you have to account for that as well. That's for sure. They can definitely overlap and intertwine. And I think that sometimes you look at your priorities and it's good to get those on paper, but to, to look at the barriers is something that a lot of people don't do. And to your point, Mike, you might have one barrier that actually is keeping you from getting to two or three of those things on your list. So that's our red, walk down Red Dog Road segment for this episode, priorities. Seriously, folks, sit down, take the time, write out the five top ones, write out the five things that are keeping you from getting to them. And I think that's something that, that you'll feel good about once you get through that. So with that, Mike, let's have a little fun this episode. Uh, for whatever reason, it just popped into my mind that about hunting clothing. And it might be because now when I go through my closet, what I have in my closet now does not in any way resemble <laughs> the types of hunting clothes that I used to have, especially starting out. And so what I'd like to do is let's talk about some of the things that we've had on our bodies that we're trying to go out there and be successful in the field with that frankly, were just pretty much garbage and probably hurt our chances. And that is 
you got to start with hunting clothing, right? Because if you're not comfortable, you're, then you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be able to stay out as long. You're not going to be able to concentrate. You're just not going to be as effective. It's it's part of the overall gear system. And we'll get into it. We'll have another episode down the road talking about bad gear that we've had and good gear. But I wanted to start with clothing. And, and I'm going to start this off, Mike, by talking about my very first camo outfit. Now, I'm not sure exactly why, but I, I remember my dad not letting me archery hunt until I was, he didn't want me to start till I was 16, but I think I was able to talk him into doing it when I was 15 and I had no camouflage, but luckily he was just about to make an investment to upgrade his. So of course I got the hand-me-down and the hand-me-down camo that I got was this military style uh, because that was all that was really available. This was even before the first tree bark camouflage came out. And he had worn this camouflage so much, it, it was so thin, you could darn near see through it because it had been washed and it just, uh, at any rate, but that, and it was way too big for me. And I wish I had some pictures, maybe someday I'll find some, but uh, I just remember, I want to start there and I, we'll just do some back and forth here. But I remember that camouflage for sure. And eventually it just had so many holes in it that I had to get something else. But I think I wore that for a good, uh, good two or three years anyway. Well, and if you recall, a lot of that earlier camouflage was just an outer shell. It didn't have the insulation, the wind barrier, the water barrier that we have in these now. I mean, like you said, I remember my first one, it probably came from a store like Kmart. It was just woven cotton. And um, of all things, it was, it was a, well, but then again, I grew up on the St. Lawrence river, which was that St. Lawrence seaway was a big duck hunting um, corridor. And it was, a marsh pattern in regards to that that uh, fawn tan color with uh, brown and black splotches. That was my first cam. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And the funny thing was, and, and because you say that you open up your closet and look at what you have, I'm probably still in that <laughs> less than stellar cam. I still mix and match and piece things. If I can still fit it and I still keep it, I guess. But I actually took a piece of that old camo when I finally had had enough of it. I couldn't wear it anymore. It was ripped and torn. I cut a piece out and I used it to mount a, t- a turkey fan. So I actually still kept a piece of that very first camo in the house here with me in, in regards to um, being uh, placed on the mount of my very first turkey. That's an awesome way to reuse it. I, that, that's great. And I, yeah, to your point about mix and matching, I mean, I, I want to, I'll jump ahead to that because it was something I was going to bring up later. I remember when I was finally able to, I think I had a job and we had, had a little bit of a paycheck anyway and was able to start looking into some camo and the patterns had improved. You could never find, in, a, in the little town that we grew up in, you could never find a match. So you'd go into a, a big retailer in our area. It was a, well, we had a, a place called Trader Horn in our area, which was probably had the best selection of hunting clothing in, in our immediate area. But you would go into these places and you could find a, a top of one pattern and a bottom of another. And for whatever reason, they just never carried matching sets. So I can remember hunting many times in in camouflage that just where they weren't a matching pattern or not even close. Oh, and or the the classic thing was you could find a matching set, but neither either only one or the other was in your size top versus bottom. Oh, that was that was frustrating. Yeah, that, that's that was another one for sure. Yeah, you could you could never get the sizes to match it. So I'm going to jump from camo and I'm going to jump to fluorescent orange now because because I wasn't allowed to, to archery hunt uh, until I was a little older. Of course, you start out with firearms, which almost seems maybe kind of backwards. But at any rate, um, 
I remember, and maybe you had to wear one of these, Mike, but when you're just starting out and you're like 12 years old, you're still kind of small, right? You're not really grown into your body yet. I had the dreaded fluorescent orange. It had been handed down, I would say, probably at least twice from somewhere, but it was the fluorescent orange onesie. Oh, <laughs> where, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where you <laughs> climb into this thing and it's just got the zip up and it's the arms and the whole bit. And not only did I look ridiculous in this thing, it was terrible because you couldn't, there was no layering really. If you had to unlayer, you had to like strip the whole thing off and take off layers. But the other big thing was, I distinctly remember a hunt where it cost me a deer because I had to, uh, you know, nature called and uh, was, was needing to, to, to take a leak there. And while, while I have this onesie, like down around my ankles, this deer, <laughs> uh, this buck comes running up through uh, to kind of come out of nowhere. And, uh, there I was trying to kind of hop back to get to my gun. And, uh, so in, in addition to just looking ridiculous, it was not very effective either. Well, I actually was out tagging along with, with my dad and his, um, hunting buddies when I was younger and too young to, to hunt. And I think I was still, I might've been even in elementary school, sixth, seventh grade, maybe, I'm, I'm almost sure I was that young and they didn't make hunting clothes or camo or fluorescent orange that size. And my, if I wanted to go hunting, it was my snowsuit from just as you would go and play outside, which you want to talk about hampering your ability to, to hunt or have success. We were at the time living up in Ogdensburg, New York. So if anyone doesn't know what that is, when I talked about the St. Lawrence Seaway, if you tra look north in, in New York state and you continue to go north up to where you see a river between New York and Canada, Ogdensburg is a town right in that area, you know, zone three for growing. I mean, we had these powerful winters. There wasn't a lot of deer uh, because again, our summers were so short, we didn't have a great growing season. Uh, the numbers were down at that time in New York state and you track along, uh, well, how old are you in sixth grade? You know, nine, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And wearing a snowsuit and all you hear is it zip, 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 zip. Every time you take a step. Oh, I'm surprised that <laughs> there was years that we probably never saw a deer. <laughs> and I think it's half, half it was because of that dumb snowsuit. Yeah, noisy clothes. That's that's on my list here too. I have an experience with that, but I, I think we had some sixteen-year-olds in sixth grade in, in my class. But that's a whole other, that's a whole other episode and a whole other story. Um, at any rate, uh, here here's another one that that I thought of, and this doesn't necessarily qualify as hunting clothing, but it ended up being hunting clothing because you, the idea, for example, that any of us had snow camo like that we could afford not only regular camo, but snow camo, if you could ever find it was, it's absurd. You, you just didn't have it. So my dad decided he was going to go fox hunting and I'm not sure he really knew anything much about fox hunting, but he had a, a cassette tape and a, and a desire to go in an area where he thought he had seen some foxes. So I did, I had no white camo or nothing to put on. I think he was wearing a, some kind of old plastic suit that he threw over his clothes. But at any rate, all I had was a pair of white dress pants <laughs> And I remember we go out in the snow and I'm wearing these white dress pants and we're laying on our bellies and that the water is the freezing, the, the, the heat between my leg and the, and the cold snow just created water on my legs. And I just remember how cold I was and how painful it was, but I didn't dare move a muscle because I didn't want to blow the fox hunt. But uh, yeah, white dress pants is something that I have worn out to, to do some hunting in. And uh, that was, I, I still have that memory. That's how cold my legs were. 
Well, when as soon as you're saying white dress pants, I'm thinking white platform shoes as well. But I'm sure that you, those were not on your feet. <laughs> but what I would actually have to wear on my feet. And if you remember um, back when you were younger, were these two-tone winter boots. And I'm, I mean, I used to see them all the time. They were, they were just they were actually kind of um, bound together by some elastic. You picked up your pair. Like they'd have hundreds of them in Kmart and they, the bottoms were more of a tan color. The uppers were more of a Brown and the, you had this felt insert that went in there, but the laces were bright yellow. Do you, did you ever see those, those snow boots? Yeah. I'm literally shaking my head as you're telling that because on my list are to talk about the cheap, what I have in parentheses, Walmart boots, but I don't, it was Walmart wasn't even around yet at this time. No, but, but the exact boots that I'm thinking of are the ones that you just described. And, and yeah, cause everyone had, everyone had those boots. That was the winter boot. Well, and they were darn near disposable because you couldn't get, if you hunted any amount of time, you could, you could barely get a second season out of them. Maybe. And they and they were miserable. They were they were uncomfortable. They were cold. They certainly yeah, our our way of dealing with that oh was my, God, my dad would be like, just put two pairs of socks on, as if that was gonna <laughs> gonna make any difference. But yeah, those things were absolutely ridiculous, and they uh, luckily don't exist anymore. And I mean, obviously, the choices of boots nowadays are through the roof. And but those things, yeah, I, I just when you started talking about those boots and the light tan bottoms, I immediately knew what you were talking about. And I'm guessing that some people listening uh, will as well. Well, the killer was, and I don't know what it was like down here, but up North we would have sometimes feet of snow and those boots were probably equivalent to maybe uh, like a three quarter right now where it was just above your ankle by about an inch or two. So when snow would go down in and get packed in there, Oh, and it would begin to melt, it would run down. And when, as soon as it hit the tips of your toes, you knew it was over. Yeah, your day's over at that point. And I, I do remember that. And, and they, they weren't tall. I think you said they were slightly, I think maybe an eight inch boot, which would be slightly above your ankle. And maybe not even that, maybe a six inch boot. But uh, certainly remember those. And, and here's one for you. So I used to have. <laughs> I, I used to hate out there archery hunting and my face, my whole head would get cold, right? So I bought this ridiculous, big puffy kind of woven face mask hat where you pulled it over and it had the eyes cut out and the mouth cut out and I think a place for your nose. And this thing, while while it was it was warm, it actually it caused you to sweat all the time and then eventually your head got cold anyway. But you could, any time, it was great until you actually had to draw your bow. And the minute you would draw your boat, it would slide over your face and cover your eye. Uh, and then, and if you're sitting there and you're cold, you got like your nose is just like running down through this thing. And so I eventually, I remember taking and cutting out the right eye of this thing. <laughs> so my left eye was normal size and my right eye was huge because <laughs> when I drew my boat, I wanted to be able to see out of this thing because it cost me a nice buck in Pennsylvania one year. Uh, this deer come in and he come right under me. And a really easy shot ended up shooting right over his back. But I drew my bow back and that stinking eye, uh, the eye hole slid to the side and it was in my eye. At least that's my excuse. But I, I can imagine how ridiculous I looked out there with one softball-sized eye on the right side and a normal-sized eye hole on the left side. Well, I mean, we've all, I think, looked ridiculous at one point in time because we're trying to make something that was very non-functional, functional. And... I've done that. I mean, jumping way ahead when we didn't have some of the more contoured face masks and things like that. Do you remember spandoflage that you put over your face? Um, 
I cut the junk out of those things. I mean, I'd wind up looking like, I think like an ax murderer by the time I was done trying to get eye holes and, oh my God. I do remember those. And a matter of fact, if, if you go back, if anybody has some old, some of the early hunting videos laying around, like the old, uh, the very old monster bucks or some real old, uh, turkey videos, those types of things. You'll see guys wearing these things. And they did exactly what Mike said. They'll, they would cut out the eye holes bigger. And it, at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much they even helped, but the, even even the pros were dealing with that stuff back in the day. Um, but I definitely remember that. And here's one, you were talking about noise. Now, I remember I used to buy a lot of my stuff through the Sportsman's Guide. And I'm not picking on the Sportsman's Guide. It's a great little magazine. It's just, if you flip through it, you, there's usually a trinket or two you find in there that you think you need and you buy it. And I used to be all in. I was a, I was a club member and to get the extra discount. But I would buy a lot of my camouflage there. And you didn't get to touch it before you saw it. And I, I picked out this really cool jacket that I liked. And it came. And, and it, was, it was a great jacket, uh, at least until I washed it. So... <laughs> I get this thing and I love the pattern. I wash it and I throw it in the dryer. And apparently inside this jacket was some type of synthetic or plastic type lining. And I put this thing back on, Mike, and it sounded like I had popcorn popping in my pockets. <laughs> uh, so it ended up being a jacket where it looked great on the outside. This was so typical of clothing at that time. And I, I know when I say that time, this would have been this would have been early 2000s now. So this isn't all that long ago. But it looked great on the outside, but in terms of the functionality and the quality of it, absolute garbage. <laughs> and, and those are hard. Those are hard things to get over. And like you said, you you spent your money on that. So did, the question that I'd pose to you is: Did you still wear it hunting? Uh, I think I did try to wear it one or two times. As a matter of fact, Mike, I'm certain that this jacket shows up in Wild Whitetail's video that we have posted previously on the Red Dog Road website. Um, it's the jacket I was wearing when I shot the doe that we filmed in early November. Um, okay. So it was, uh, you had your, your company sent your um, Appalachian Whitetails scent logo on yes, there. That one. I did. Yeah. It was that jacket. Okay. And it, I, so you did wear I it. I did wear it. And, and I think whenever you hear me draw on the video, you can hear that jacket crinkling. Uh, it, <laughs> like in a garbage bag tucked underneath your, your clothes. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounded like. And so I was still able to get a deer with it, but eventually I just had to toss the thing no matter how much I liked it. Then, um, it, even, even then, which, when did you wrap up the video? 2009. Okay. So I, I said early 2000s. I mean, this was mid to late 2000s. And we still were not having the quality of clothing. Um, so before I jump into some of the, the advances that we've made and talk about what's in my closet nowadays, do you have any other memories of of just awful hunting clothing? I don't. I mean, I can't remember the awful hunting clothing, but what I do remember is the uh, the socks that would. Um, and it's, well, I mean, as you combine those to your boots that we were talking about with the yellow shoelaces migrating down to where they actually slipped out past you, slipped your heel out and they bunched up under the arch of your foot. But yet you looked at your dad and he's like trudging along through the snow and you, you didn't dare at least number one, speak or ask to stop. And you're walking on this mound underneath the arch of your foot. Your, your heel gets like cold that you lose sensation. And if you've never had frostbite of your heels, you're missing an experience. I mean, I'm telling you what, it, like for me to go back, it's just 
the fact that I guess when we were little kids, our legs were just like a pencil, you know, <laughs> and there was no contour and you're wearing socks that are so old that the elastic's gone in them. And so they just run down your leg. And then as you continue to like walk your heel, what we call it, we call it pistoning, just like in the piston in an engine and to walk that sock right off and it bunches up underneath your arch of your foot. Oh, that just gives me, I, I cringe thinking about it now. Well, first of all, the idea that you might actually have socks specifically for hunting was almost out of the question because what you're really wearing there are your your athletic socks or whatever your tube socks that we used to wear back in the day and they just weren't made for that environment they weren't made for out there hunting and, and the cheap boots on top of that i'm sure didn't help matters and uh yeah i man countless memories of having socks balled up under my foot and having to stop and readjust if i could and then the next thing you know they're wet and uh, it just <laughs> it, nowhere near what we have nowadays for sure. And we still love hunting, which is, is, is the killer of this. Now we, we kind of, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but when we take our kids out, we coddle them and we make sure that they have snacks and their electronics and a nice, comfortable, warm place to sit to hope that they enjoy hunting. And we were out there in almost conditions that would be punishment. And we still love hunting to this day is, is really shocking. It really is because like you said, we went through hell at, at times, you know, it just wasn't a lot of fun at times because it was just so uncomfortable. And luckily we have turned, we've turned a huge corner in terms of the quality of clothing that's out there. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, some of it is, it's really expensive, but you can also find some really, really good stuff for what I would say mid-range pricing or a little bit better. And so I want to I want to talk first. I want to mention about whenever I sort of had a turning point in my mind, and this would have been in in the late two thousands, Mike. Where I remember I was out there. There was a particular buck I was after on the on the place we you and I used to hunt in Pennsylvania, and it was one of those days where <clears throat> excuse me, one of those days where the it was it was a rainy morning, but it was going to stop midday. And I knew that as soon as that rain stopped, the deer were going to be moving. So I thought, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to sit through the rain and I'm going to wait for this deer to come. It was just bone chilling cold. And, I, and I'm, there I am wearing this cheap stuff that I got through the sportsman's guide. And it just finally hit me. You know, I said, this is, this is your biggest hobby. This is what you're most into. Quit being so tight and get out there and get yourself some decent clothes. And it, it, when Under Armour first came out, and this isn't an endorsement of Under Armour. It's just, this is just the specific example. But when it first came out, I refused to buy it because it was like $50 just for a top, right? I wasn't going to pay that. I didn't, I didn't pay that for whole suits most of my hunting career. But at that point, I said, you know what? I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go out and drop a hundred bucks and get a top and bottom. So I at least have a comfortable base layer that's not cotton. And that was really the turning point for me because I did that. And then next thing you know, I bought a second set. And I was way more comfortable out there. So for me, the big transformation started with just having base layers that weren't cotton, that, that wicked water away from your body. Uh, maybe you had a similar experience. Well, I mean, not to be too mushy about this, but th that actually ties back into your walk down Red Dog, Dog Road about priorities or prioritizing. I mean, you finally came to the realization, I need to prioritize my comfort while I'm out here hunting so I can enjoy it better. But for me... I, um, there was, and I can't remember what the catalog name was, but Paul Bruner out in Montana, he was a, a traditional bow hunter. Um, he had a couple videos out at the time back in the late eighties when I was, um, really getting into bow hunting and 
he was advertising this, um, they called it XWEX, but it was like an, an acronym. It was ECWCS. It was a military base layer that was supposed to wick away moisture from your from your skin and keep you warmer. And because it, I was in college at the time, I was doing a lot more bow hunting late season. And I thought I was out there suffering, like you said, as it was. I said, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to cough up the money and buy this system top and bottom. And I did buy it. And it, that was the first, like you said, the first eye opening experience where spending a little bit of money and prioritizing comfort and your, your hobby paid dividends. Yeah. You have to invest in it. And that was a lesson that it took me learning the hard way. And now to the point where so that was that was the initial one. By the way, I still have that original set of Under Armour, which also speaks to if you spend the money, a lot of times you'll get something that'll last you a while. And you and I remember we used to go back and forth. We each had a lucky color of Under Armour we would wear whenever the yep. chips were down. And and I think for you it was the blue Under Armour, and for me it was the green Under Armour. But and it still is. And it still is. See that? See I still that? wear the blue. We're not. We should do a whole show on superstition. I think we can do that. But um, oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I'll, I'll say too when I and I'm just going to be honest now. And, and it advan- by the way, before I skip too far ahead, it, now even more than the synthetic layers that you get with the Under Armors, and you, there's a number of different companies that have their own. But merino wool has changed the game. You know, this is a material that's even thinner. It's lighter, but it's warmer. And mm-hmm. I have several merino wool base layers now. That when it gets really cold, I go to those, and that that has made a big difference for me. I, I tell you what, I'm a huge fan of wool. It's it's tough to take care of. Now, the merino wool, I heard, from what I've heard, because I haven't gotten that yet, is a little bit easier to take care of than original wool was. But I will tell you, I bought this, and it was from Cabela's. It was a wool crew sweat, a crew neck sweater. We had three buttons, and it had wind stopper in it. And that was the first time that the temperature was in the 20s. The wind was howling. I was gun hunting up in New York at the time. I was so warm and comfortable. I fell asleep in the stand. I mean, that spoke to me the importance of having good quality clothing and wool in particularly. And I'm a huge fan of wool. And you get what you pay for. And that's the other thing is that the first, what I would say real, I would say decent camouflage I ever bought was natural gear. And you'll see, if you've seen pictures of me with deer over the years, a lot of my pictures are in that, a lot of the hunting I think that we did for the show, Mike, I was wearing that gear and it was because I got a discount on it when I had the scent company. And so that was, I remember putting that on and saying, man, this is, this is real hunting clothing. This feels great. But then as I got into the hunting industry as a profession and I eventually got on, I'm, I'm part of the pro program for Sitka gear. And then I put on that. <laughs> and um, so this Sitka gear doesn't, give me anything to say this, although I'm, I'm part of their pro program and that's nice. Uh, the reality is when I say you get what you pay for, I know that stuff's super expensive, but that was a complete, complete game changer for me. And to, to wear fabric, first of all, that moves with your body and also that you can layer up and you can be out there nice and warm and still be thin as opposed to back in the day when we layered up, we looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man out there and you had to wonder if you could even get your bow drawn. Whereas this uh, type of gear and it's not just Sitka there are others that are out there as, as, as well First Light's another one uh, Nomad has some really good stuff out there 
uh, there, there are just a lot more choices now than what we ever had. Uh, I feel like Kuyu is another one that, that primarily is featured out West, but that's another really good one. They are super expensive, but when you look at what you're going to spend on a bow and other equipment, you don't ever hesitate to spend those big dollars. And at the end of the day, if you're not comfortable out there, you're not going to last. And for me, that's why I have a closet full of, of Sitka gear now, because I, to, to be totally frank about it, there's no question it makes me a better hunter. And uh, it, it's just amazing how far we have evolved, even in just the last eight to 10 years. You're right. It's, it's a big, but then again, it's just like anything else. When the money is there, the the merchandising follows. I mean, in regards to the quality of that market share. I mean, it's hunting and, and bow hunting in general. I mean, actually all hunting is a big moneymaker for this country, whether it be the Pittman-Robertson Act, you know, supporting conservation and wildlife to just the dollars that local hunters spend in their community or guys that travel to hunt that money's there and we're willing to spend it. And I think that we have secondarily in some weird kind of strange way benefited from that with the quality that they put into the products that they want us to buy, because it, it has made a big change in a, in a pretty much a short window. If we look back at early two thousands to now, that's been a big change. It has been a big change. We mentioned footwear earlier. That's another area that has changed dramatically. And, from original Gore-Tex and how that would, you'd end up with leaks with that anyway. But now we've got the, you know, the muck boot style and just the, the high quality rubber boots. And um, I've got a pair of uh, Danner pronghorns that I love for hunting out West. So those just, those types of things just weren't available. So uh, think about that whenever you're out there deciding where you're going to spend your money. If you're not comfortable out there, it doesn't matter how good of a bow or how good of a gun you have in your hand. You're just, you're just not going to stick it out and, uh, and the other thing you mentioned about money, and it, I think there's more competition now too. More people can make these high quality products. You can buy, for example, the Redhead or Bass Pro brand or a Cabela's brand, and you're probably going to get pretty qual good quality clothing for a little bit less money. So um, that's one place that I would encourage you not to not to try to skimp too much if you can help it. So with that, uh, what I would what I would tell you too before we go ahead and wrap up today's show is. If you're listening to this and you have a particular item that you remember from back in the day that you used to wear that was that you would just look at now and say, that's ridiculous, email that to me. Uh, you can do that at nick at reddogroad.net. And we'll talk about it on the show because that, these are just a few things that Mike and I thought of, but I'm sure that there are other things that many of you can, uh, in terms of clothing, can come up with as well. We'd love to hear that. So uh, with that, this was, this was a fun topic. I enjoyed talking about it uh, with you for sure, Mike. And uh, I want to ask you, What's on tap here for this week? What's going on? Well, I mean, I have finals, my finals for my schooling uh, the next two weeks because I have two classes. So each one gives us this major project to do. So I have those that I have to get squared away. So I'm feeling a little bit of that crunch. But on the positive side, I've moved into what my wife likes to call field mouse mode, where I start collecting seeds. <laughs> As I'm like today, I went out and I had to. Uh, I bought a, a bag that was uh, alfalfa based. I'm putting in, uh, I have a couple food plots that are a little bit tired, old clover plots that need to be turned over and replanted. So I'm, I'm collecting my seeds and I sit them in the garage along the uh, aluminum ladder. So they're never on the ground. And 
she says, oh, here you go again. He's starting to you know, go into field mouse mode and gather up my seeds for the season. So that's where I'm at right now. Well, that's that's also another sign of spring finals and getting your seeds ready. Uh, so that will just like the Masters and the Kentucky Derby, we have finals and we have uh, putting food plot seeds together. I, for me, I'm I'm looking at a relaxing weekend because the weather is not going to be great to begin with. We're uh, Will is we're still trying to get him back on track from traveling the last two weekends. So uh, I'd, I'd like to just hang out. And you know what? Because it's Masters week, I plan on watching a heck of a lot of golf. And the other thing I'll say is um, you and I, Mike, have talked about this in separate conversations. But I've got a really important meeting uh, to go to on Tuesday that I need to prepare for. This is in Chicago. I fly out Monday and have that meeting Tuesday, midday Tuesday. And I'm looking forward to that. And I need to spend some time preparing for that as well. And hopefully if that goes well, I will, uh, I'll be able to talk about it on the next, on the next show. But uh, that's, that's what I have, have planned for the weekend. Well, good luck. Safe travels to you. Hope everything goes as planned. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I hope it does go well. And like I said, hopefully we'll be talking about that. So uh, with that, I want to remind you folks, if you're not already a subscriber, first of all, you can subscribe on the Red Dog Road website to get the articles every time I post them. And I haven't done a lot of writing, but I did post an article last night and this will notify you every time an article comes in. Uh, So uh, or every time an article is posted. So you just simply do that by going to the reddogroad.net website and clicking on the subscribe link. And then for the podcast in particular, iTunes and Stitcher are the place to do that, although you can also listen to the show directly from the website. And also I want to remind you to please send feedback. We appreciate it. It helps us make the show better. I got good feedback at the North American Conference, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. And I also just today got an email from someone who has been following the website and just wanted to say how much they enjoyed it. And that helps keep us going because again, we don't look for sponsors and we don't get any anything for doing this, but it makes us feel good to know that you're paying attention and listening or reading the stuff that's being put out there. So with that, we're going to call it an episode. I want to thank you again, Mike, for your time. I know it's a busy, busy schedule for you and good luck on those finals. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And we'll go ahead and call it a show. Have a great week, everybody. You take care. Thank you for listening to the Red Dog Road Podcast. If you like what you heard here, please consider subscribing and telling your friends. You can also visit the website and blog at reddogroad.net.